Get ready for the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. Each week featuring a candid and raucous conversation with some of the most innovative, outspoken, and entrepreneurial business minds in the world today. This is the Very Visible Business Podcast, and here's David Averin. And welcome to the Very Visible Business Podcast. My name is David Averin. Oh, do we have a cool show today. One of my favorite people on the planet. She is funny. She is quirky. She is beyond. She is deceptively brilliant. I think, I don't know that I've met many people in my life who have been underestimated more than my friend, Jessica Pettit. She is, a quick background on her. She, she teaches and trains. She's an author um, on diversity, on, on social, social justice, on all the things, an incredible background um, in, in school, in, I can't even remember everything. I probably should read all of this because it's better. Uh, let's see, she, um, she blends politics and humor and identity. She's a former stand-up comedian, but she also has, um, you have a master's, right, in higher education? Just, just nod. Okay, for those who are watching the, the video version of this, master's in higher education, uh, emphasis on crisis management. She's, she's taught school. She's worked with organizations. But the long and the short of it is she has a really remarkable voice and a knowledgeable voice and a striking persona to help organizations and leaders and others understand what diversity means today, uh, what it means in terms of actual practice. There's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of pushback from some, certainly no shortage of opinions of what it all means, but she kind of puts it all together. Here's what you need to think. Here's why it's changed. Here's, I know I'm probably speaking too much for you right now, and here's how it manifests in real world interactions in the workplace. So I am so thrilled. And beyond that, she's one of my, my dearest friends. We love to just connect with each other. And we just find that, oh, hey, we're on the same platform in the same conference. And then we get a chance to hang out and talk about stuff and catch up on life. Jessica Pettit, thanks for joining us here today. Absolutely. Super excited to be here. Well, you know what? We're excited to hear from you. Um, I don't want to start with background uh, in terms of your background as much. I mean, I weave that in as we have the conversation. But for those who listen to this, it's business owners and entrepreneurs and those in business looking to be better. Um, we're always trying to, to learn more that we can implement um, and weave into our business so that we can be better at what we do. It's about competitive advantage. But there's some dangers lurking out there in terms of, of changes in mindset and behavior and attitude and expectations of our customers and clients. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about, about your message, why it's relevant today and your unique take on all of it. Well, thanks for the easy softball question to get us kicked off with. Um, That's my job. <laughs> I think that uh, what, 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 the way you phrase the question, how I think I wanna start off with is we're gonna do a metaphor about diet plans. Right, so when we think about diets or ways of eating or ways of living or something like that, like we count points or we can do these really hard ways of dieting that are about like actually changing your relationship with food or we do the diet where you only eat yellow things for a month, right? right. Or you only can have liquids, um, you only can eat cow. Um, we come up with these like very extreme things that we do in a very intense time so that we can get the quick results and like voila. And then day 32, you're eating a ding dong and you've gained 20 pounds. Uh, I feel that doing real diversity work, how we have done it and how a lot of us approach it is very similar. We could actually invest time with our relationship with ourselves and relationships with other people, take responsibility for who and how we are, make better connections, have better conversations, and accept responsibility, or we just cut out all of the things that we're supposed to never say or and add in only the new words that we learned because we watched some show on TV. Right, and walk around the, the office place on eggshells, right. worrying that we're going to do something wrong. Well, it, I, honestly, I think that we don't like to worry that we're doing something wrong, which goes back to lifestyle. I think that we think as long as we don't do this one thing, we're fine. Right. And uh, real equity and inclusion work is not the keto diet. So it's complicated and it's hard. And it's about a deeper relationship, I believe, with yourself than 
it is about external gatherings of different experiences or people or language. It's right. really doing hard work with yourself. And I think that it's easy. It's cheap. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't have to be witnessed by anybody else. You just have to actually do it. Right. But, but let's make a connection here for those who are listening, because the last thing I want for somebody who feels some sort of aversion to this, um, to be tuning out, because this is a very important conversation, not because we think it's an important conversation, but because it is as it connects to business. So connect for our audience, your mission with their business, Yeah, right? Sure. We're not talking about doing this because it's the right thing to do, even though we both know it is the right thing of to course, do. Of course, but that's right? not why anybody is going to actually do it. Sure. So so typically in a business format, we, the, these kind of touchy-feely soft skills get relegated to first off the HR department. The real truth of your HR department is to make sure you don't get sued, right? right. Their job Absolutely. is not to create a better place. Their job is to make sure you don't get sued. Okay, great. Some offices on usually a very different floor, sometimes built into HR, there's one person, usually a woman of color, who is under-resourced, has no social capital, and is charged with doing all the diversity work inside of the company. So then you have the person who has the job with usually a pretty- They can check nice, that box, right? Right. Nice salary, right? Except one person cannot do this job for everybody. Have you met your coworkers, right? Right. So those two things are happening and nothing is changing. Now, for the record, I pay my mortgage off of this structure. So you just keep going. But if you actually want to make more money, retain the talent that you currently have, recruit better people who actually will stay and grow and improve your business, yep. what you're going to have to do is work with all of the losers that you already have mixed in with all of the winner talent that you already have and do something with what you already have. <laughs> no, we'd rather watch a movie. Okay, great. Right. Well, then watch a right. movie. Because it's what, but it's what you said before, right? Everybody's, you're looking for, from a preventative perspective. People are looking to avoid getting sued. Now, this is not in lieu of that. I mean, we have to make smart things. That's why they put tags on clothes that says, do not iron while wearing, right? We've checked that box. Right. But for those organizations, and you and I know others who are sort of in the space who teach on the college level and others as well, oftentimes the impetus for bringing somebody like yourself in to work with the organization is that what we call plausible deniability, right? When in case there is a lawsuit saying, no, 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 we brought in somebody to, tr to train so that they can avoid that lawsuit. But the reality is there really is a behavior and a mindset shift that can be beneficial to an organization. Talk more about that. Well, even before we get to mind shift, not to like derail your question, but I think no, it's you're, easier... It's even easier than that. If we're going to try to keep a listener on, let's talk about mind shift. Goodbye. No, don't shift your mind. Work with the same thing that you're at now. I, I spoke a couple of months ago at a, are you ready for this? This is a very exciting audience. Mortgage foreclosure law firm owners. We've all done that gig, right? Right. Yeah. So I'm sitting there at, at, in the morning. They're like making fun of Obama and like how terrible Democrats are for foreclosure laws. And I'm like, why am I in this room? Do they know what's happening? What's going on? So I listen to them in the morning. Uh, these lawyers talk about how it is best practice in the industry. They have two sets of stationery. I promise I'm answering your question. No, you're right. Yeah. They have two sets of stationery. So when they're about to foreclose on a home, depending on which notice it is, depends on which stationery they get, because one of them has a clause about the person's rights and the other one doesn't. So the, the one that doesn't is the more aggressive letter and the one that does is like the nice first sending good, letter. The good cop, bad cop letters. Right. Good cop, bad cop on stationery. So they started having a very intellectual conversation about when to choose which stationery bucket to pull from. So then I get up there. We had a lovely steak blue cheese salad. I think that's important to mention. So then it's my turn. And I'm like, just out of curiosity, I'm not a lawyer. I was a ceramics major. Thank you very much. But just out of curiosity, you went to law school and you know that you have an industry best standard based on choosing which bucket of stationery you're going to choose from. Why would you open up yourself to that big of a liability because what if you sent it on the wrong stationery to the wrong person? And they literally were like, uh, we haven't thought about that. I'm like, you're the lawyers. Hello. Right. right. Like, let me, let me tell you about the liability I witnessed from this morning's panel. 
So while they're all like puckery, right? I'm like, this is exactly where the diversity conversation has to move. So like, let's go to the Me Too movement and the fact that it seems to be a lot of white men are very terrified now to even engage or talk to a woman in the workplace. Right. So backing away from 57% of the talent that work in corporate America because you're afraid about whether or not you are doing it right, backing away is not doing it right. Right. Backing away is not engaging with 57% of the people who are currently working in corporate America and you're trying to turn a profit. Like, how are you doing that with the 43% of America? That doesn't make any sense. So then what I said, and this may be potentially a little blunt for some of the people, but if they're listening to your podcast, I'm it's the right one. Keep going. Give it to us. To it. So I said, let's take your mentor program. So you have like new employees that you're, we use the word grooming, like we're dogs or something, but grooming right. them into leadership positions. If your current mentor program or leadership development program for the potential that you see in your employees for leadership, if it involves anything of your body other than your mind, don't do that program. Like if it involves dancing, if it involves taking them out to dinner, if it involves like one-on-one -on -one time to get to know people, that's a gross program. If the vast majority of the program is your mind and their mind engaging, and that that engagement is where the growth and the development is happening, keep that program. Growth and development is not sexual harassment. Right. 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 Sexual harassment disguised as growth and development is a gross program. Most of these mentor programs are fantastic. Don't cancel them because you're really worried about how to confront one person's really bad behavior. Right, but, but let's, let's address this because I think this is an important issue to address. I've heard others who are dismissive, who are saying, don't be so this, you know, so you can't meet with a woman in the workplace. Well, guess what? You just lost that. It, it, it belies the fact that there is genuine concern. I mean, I will tell you for me, I don't because I don't have that kind of a workplace, but here, here's an example that, that I think you'll appreciate. So when I speak like you, people line up, they want to, they want to sign book. They want to take a picture or something else. I used to put my arm around their waist, whatever we take a picture. I don't do that anymore because I don't want anybody ever to say, Hey, in, in 19, whatever, he touched my butt. I put my arm around their shoulders. I stand next to them and we lean into each other and take a picture. There is a cognizance. There is a sensitivity. So in your teaching and training, because you're right, not engaging isn't the answer. Avoiding any circumstance also um, precludes you from having great interactions if you mm -hmm. say they're going to have no interactions. So what is the, the, the core of your teaching besides yeah. sort of engaging the brain? If somebody was to bring you in, um, even if they weren't, I mean, if, just to give them a cognizance now, sure. this is okay, this isn't, it's not that complicated. Because in people's mind, it is complicated. Right. Well, what's complicated is goes back to the keto diet is that you're trying to get all of the rules up front so then you can eradicate these things and only do these things. And this isn't keto. So let's take, let's take, for example, both of us are at a, a same conference and we both have lines for people to sign our books. Sure. Right? Okay. So here's what you do. Ready? Here is the one thing. Hi, we're, we're about to take a photograph together, right? Is it okay if I put my hand on your shoulder? And they'll be like, yeah, sure. That is called asking for consent. Right. Doing it, like imagine, so instead of thinking it were like worrying about power dynamics and sexuality, imagine they just had surgery, but you don't know that. And they're tired of wearing their sling. And so they just, they don't want to have to tell anybody. You should ask, right? What if their shoulder still hurts? I just got a flu shot. I have a big bruise on my arm. You can always just ask, like, is it okay if I do this? You don't know what what reality that person is in right. about what you're about to do. So just ask a question. It doesn't have to be sexualized in nature in order for you, the other person to appreciate the fact that you ask them, right? Got it. So give, My, give an examples in the workplace as well, because there is always this, um, the intention, because m men are, I wouldn't, I was going to say we're morons. We're not. Um, we are often clueless. No, right. I know. We're often clueless of things <laughs> I mean, that we think are fairly, right, are fairly 
humans are morons. Yeah, we are, we are generally. But we're, but we're generally, um, we, can be, we can be clueless if we're focused on work or whatever else. And this isn't just a man to women thing. It's, right. it's, it's healthy it's dynamics have, in the workplace. All you have to do is ask a question. And then what that individual's answer is dictates what you do. If you're looking right. for the keto diet solution, every human being, ask them. So we're in a workplace. It, my hands are full, right? You just automatically open the door because my hands are full. That's great. But we're actually usually communicating with our eyes, at least as we approach the door. I am trying to figure out, can I open the door? You're standing there. Maybe I look at you. And maybe I ask, can you open that door for me? Maybe you ask, do you want me to open the door for you, right? Maybe I actually just need to set them down in front of the door, so I don't need you to do that. Right. We need to engage in more conversation. When we always default to like the Bill of Rights as if that's the high standard that we live by, sure. to me the Bill of Rights is the bottom rung, right? So. If that's the case, then we start talking about protected speech or hate speech or something is protected speech is speech that leads to more speech. So then we're like, what, how do we engage in conversations with someone? Talk to them. That is how you do it. And the, the, the baseline thing is to listen and ask questions and right. then respond based on how that they actually ask. So the, the, when we started talking about the tables or signing the books, I know that that's not everybody's business structure. Right. But I think it's important to know that even as a woman, right? Like, I don't want to just pick on men here. As a woman, I don't touch people, right? Now, I am actually not a very touchy person. But if you look at most of the pictures I have with my fans, my hand is over their shoulder and I'm waving. Like, my hands are visible in the picture at all times. Because I don't want anyone to say that I didn't something, even if I didn't do it. I don't want to put anybody in any position and you don't have to physically touch someone in order to feel like you're connecting to them. Right. What would you say to those in business who are, they're, they're throwing their hands up. They're rolling their eyes saying, everybody is so hypersensitive about everything. I can't freaking say anything. I can't touch anybody. And I don't want to be, and I don't want to be overly simplistic. Let's be complex here. I mean, simplistic um, though accurate says, deeper conversations, ask before you do something. But what do you say to those who are, I think, sparking some, some uh, I'm trying to think of the, the, the way to put this, some unhealthy conversations. Yeah. They're, no, almost, can, they're almost reacting so far the other side. Well, yeah. that's fine. I, I'm not going to do this or these people in this darn Me Too movement, this whatever else. Right. What do you say to balance yeah. that out? So, and, and, I get asked these questions all the time. So you don't even have to word them correctly. Like, right. I get what you're asking. So number one, there is not one size fits all solution. And number two is there are people in the world who feel like, <sighs> what am I supposed to do? Every waking moment of their life. And so some of us are just experiencing that for the first time. So one, it's a great place of empathy, right? So like, let's take, if we take someone who cannot... Like there's an app that just got created that would be really handy if I could remember the name of it. But uh, you sign up and someone who can't see can tap on the app. Someone who has signed up who can see can read the expiration dates on milk so that they buy milk that isn't going to expire tomorrow. Very cool. After this interview, shoot me an email when you figure out what it is and I'll throw it in the show notes. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. So, and it's 9.50 or 10.57 your time for the editor, Stephanie. There so um, what the reason why that's important is, is that I can see. I've never thought about what it would be like to go to a grocery store if you can't see, right? Or digging around in your closet in the dark and making sure you don't get two different brown shoes. I can see, and I've walked out of the house in two different shoes before, right? It's not new. So the, the, the idea that people think this is new or that it's gotten to some new level, no, it hasn't. This is the same conversation we've been engaging in. It's just some people are hearing it now. Sometimes that's because we have video cameras in our pockets now at, at everyone does almost. Right. So we're seeing, we're seeing more offenses or they're being brought to light. Cause there, this isn't in your mind. This isn't about being overly PC. This no. is about, we've always had it. Just not everybody's been privy to right. it. You just found out about it. Right. So like who feels comfortable showing up late to a formal dinner that you didn't know you were late for? No one's going to feel comfortable for that. Right. But you're, you showed up late. Like you had the wrong information. You showed up late. You're going to feel really terrible. So now do the best you can with what you got. 
while you're at that dinner you showed up late for. People have been having this conversation for decades and some folks are just entering it. Other people have been navigating this conversation always. So using it as a place of empathy to connect and be like, wow, this is what I feel like when I realize I didn't even know that I didn't know something. Yeah. Right. Well, well here, I'll give you a perfect example, and, and you can elaborate on this, is the Me Too movement. The Me Too movement is only new to men. Right? As I talk oh, to my I wife. Disagree. No, no, but not, not the movement, but, but the, the cause behind it. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I don't think it's fair to throw men under the bus like that. Oh, I, did, I, I didn't even mean to. The point I was going to make, and, and you can challenge me on it, was that the women I've talked to, my wife and others saying, no, this is, this is the world that we've lived in yeah. for generations in terms of, of, and not just everybody in a casting couch, but whether it's, it's a waitress having to smile through sure. you know, flirtation or this stuff, or every time I, and I asked my wife, I asked my daughters who were in their 20s, I said, do you, do you worry when you leave the house? about other men and they're like and they look at me like always i'm like yeah. i i would never have and i think of myself as fairly astute fairly in touch no, and I, empathetic i understand i like, was clueless right. as to so, the level that women have to deal with i understand that so i am a woman you're kind of explaining to me the thing that i'm like yeah i get I it i know but I, i'm doing like, it so that you'll talk more to our audience i know i get it i was trying to make a joke about mansplaining which is also yes. Um, it's another part of it, yes. What, what's important to understand, though, is that, I, and it, it's a, a delicate part of the conversation, and I want to use it as an example. So you didn't know that your wife and your daughters experienced this on the regular, and that's a really horrible feeling for you. It, absolutely. Right? Like, I'm a, I know you as a person. I consider you a friend. I've met your wife. I've actually met your kids. Like, I can't imagine what it would feel like for you as a father to not even know the amount of preparation to be publicly available on this planet you didn't know people you care about have to do. The, Correct. The focus, first off, not all men are new to that. Some men were new, but they really just got reminded because they used to know it and they kind of forgot. Mm -hmm. And some men live this every single day. And I think it's important to mention that some women also are new to this. Some women haven't experienced what it seems that most women do and what most women experience kind of in the world. So I, I, I just think it's really careful, specifically as a woman doing this work. I can't just say like, all men suck. That's not true. Like all humans suck. Now let's see what we can do better, right? So knowing that you are new to it and sitting in what it feels like to, that you don't know this. I was FaceTiming with another speaker the other day and I know we're talking about business, she was actually not speaking. She has a full-time job as well. She had pulled in to her parking lot of where she works. We're FaceTiming when she parked because we've been trying to schedule an appointment with each other. Somebody opened her car door and started yelling at her because they thought she had stared at her weird in a parking lot. I didn't even realize the like sanctity of your own car. But I was on FaceTime with my friend and I'm like, excuse me, did someone just open your car door? Like, you don't do that. Like, even like the valet at the hotel, they will stand at your door and wait for you to open your, nobody opens your car door. And then we can get into like gender roles, like your prom date walks around and you unlock the door or whatever. That's not what I mean. I mean, someone you don't know from the outside opens the door, threw it open, started yelling at her. In that moment, we were going to hang up. And Tina is like, I'm not hanging up now. I'm like, hell no, you're not. Where are you? What hotel are you in? I'm Googling the, uh, uh, the, the office building. So I'm Googling the office building in the town to get the address in case something happens and I have to call the police. And we had never communicated about this before. We didn't right. have a plan. But because we navigate the world where weird things happen, we're used to this. So the takeaway to your original question, and it goes back to, it's not, it, it sounds simplistic, but it's the hardest thing to do. Right. Is to recognize it doesn't have to be a problem for you to be a real problem for someone else. You're not a different husband. You're not a different father now that you know that this is like a Wednesday for the women in your life. But my guess is, is that you will listen to them differently when they say, oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I got home fine. And, and more than that, I will be more aware of my behavior. Now, I don't, I don't for a minute think that I'm a, a primary perpetrator of any of this. I am, I am 
I am as as sappy and sensitive and empathetic, um, I think as it, if, if not more than most. But there are certain situations where I wouldn't have even thought that a certain thing could be perceived differently, right? I mean, let me ask you this: Is this overall, if we were going to put a macro filter on this, is this about awareness and behavior, and does one drive the other? When, when you said at the very top is that it, sometimes it's nice to change people's ideas. Sometimes it's nice to change people's behavior. Sometimes I would go, it's nice to change both, right? right. On a super macro level, the, the behavioral change piece is rooted in, it doesn't have to be an experience for you in order to be an experience for someone else. It just doesn't, right? So right. There, there are a lot of things I will never experience. I have never in my entire life shaved my face or decided not to shave my face. I have no, I have no idea what not an it issue for feel you. like. Right. To like teach someone how to shave their face or what it's like to put a razor blade near your neck. Like, no, I don't know that. Now, I know what it is to shave the top of your foot or your shin bone. Mm, nope. I'm going to skip all that. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm a grown up. I don't have to do that anymore. Right. So like, but I'm using shaving as an example in that just because I don't know what your exact experience is, I might know something close. I might also not know it at all, but that doesn't erase the validity of your experience. Can I sit over here confident as a listener to someone's experience I will never know? And until that's a yes, you can't change your behaviors. And when it becomes a yes, your mindset or your behaviors will probably change. What about those who, who do get a heightened sense of awareness, but have no intention of changing their behavior? I mean, as an organizational leader, not, not you know, a lot of small businesses listen to this as well. Um, what's your responsibility as a leader within your organization to expose your people and then even if there isn't a, a shift in mindset, there are new mandated behaviors that have to arise from this awareness. Right. So when we start talking about exposure and mandates, awkward transition from sexual harassment, but that's okay. Um, well, I got it. But, but, right, but, but how do we make it tangible in the workplace? It would be wonderful if everybody through, through sheer awareness and understanding and knowledge would change their behavior as a result. It's not always going to happen. It doesn't happen. I don't even think it happens a little bit. I was making a sexually inappropriate joke about exposure and mandates. I, I got that. Um, right. So the reason why I confidently say it does not happen is that that is what we have been doing for the last 80 years and the workplace has not changed. So what, what I think is fascinating is the people in the workplace have changed, right? We are much more willing to talk about the fact that there's five generations in the workplace than we are to talk about there are now five generations poorly navigating a workplace. We're still not doing it well. Now we just have five generations trying to do it. If you legally mandate it, we like to think that, oh, problem solved. Now you have to do it. No, there's stuff that's illegal that we do all the time. There's stuff that's legal that we refuse to do. Whether we're talking about disability accommodations, that ADA has been in effect since before I was born. I'm 45 years old. And a physical access to a building is still up for debate, even though it's you're legally mandated to do it. Right. So it's not about mandates. It's about, I believe mandates address a systemic issue. And I'm not saying that systemic issues are not important, but only addressing a systemic issue does not make any individual responsibility. And so when we start like, well, I never owned slaves. Well, that is very true, except the last court case of someone who owned slaves was in Georgia in 1989. So it's not hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And we still have slave trade happening. We still have like all different kinds of dynamics. So the, our limitation of understanding how history works doesn't understand how people are experiencing daily life, right? And Again, it goes back to when you hear something that you don't experience, that doesn't mean it's false. It means it's someone else's experience. And so all of my work is trying to flip everything inside out so that when you feel uncomfortable, that's a good thing. Why are you uncomfortable? And can you get more comfortable being uncomfortable? It means you're listening better in my world. Right. You can't mandate a change of behavior, just like you can't mandate a mental change, but it's also true that very few corporations had a technology plan 
20 years ago. Right. Right. Very few founding bylaws of associations talked about social media reputations and behavior. So our minds and our ideas are capable of changing and even thinking in the future about stuff that hasn't even happened yet until we get down to actually listening to another human being who is having a different experience than me. Everything else is decoration. But how do you, and you and I have talked about this, we were in, uh, we were in Toronto when we talked about this, is how do you get those who will see, and anybody who's, who's sort of resistant to this will see any progression as, wow, now they're taking it to such a ridiculous extent, let's dismiss the whole freaking thing, yep. right? And so, and the conversation specifically was the whole idea around pronouns, mm-hmm. And so what I've heard, and I've heard this a lot in industry, it's like, I'm not the hell if I'm going to ask somebody what their pronoun is. These crazy wacko diversity people, now I have to do this, now I have to do this, whatever. And they're finding ways to be dismissive of the entire philosophy based on certain additional assertions or expectations. Address yeah. that. Yeah. So what I'm at. It's a big one in the workplace right now. So gender neutral pronouns, just in case people don't know what we're talking about. So usually those of us that have pronouns used for us that are aligned with how we identify. He um, or she or all of those, right? Right. So feminine pronouns, she, hers, masculine pronouns, he, his. When we, when the idea of pronouns come up, what happens is, is we freak out because we don't know what a pronoun is because we haven't had to think about this. So it feels like a grammar pop quiz. And we're like, what? Why do we have to do that? So the reality is, is that it is a nice thing to do because there's now gender neutral pronouns that are becoming much more commonplace. And if we talk about legal mandates, there are states that are legally mandating that if someone uses gender neutral pronouns, which are typically they, them pronouns, that in the workplace, in social life, on government issued ID, it has to be uh, alignment with how that person identifies their gender. It is also the case that like the state of Tennessee, they passed a law that inside the state, it's illegal to use gender neutral pronouns. Well, that's a fascinating little twist. So if I'm from California, where it is legal, that my documentation can say whatever my gender is, and that I am legally allowed to expect people to use gender neutral pronouns to describe me, and I'm doing work in Tennessee, who wins? I am not a lawyer. I was a ceramics major. We'll ask those mortgage guys. So one of the best practices is for everyone to just state what pronouns they use in their signature of their email, or you'll see it in like the Twitter or LinkedIn profiles where it's kind of there in parentheses, just to let people know. It doesn't cost you anything if you use, if I use feminine pronouns, which I do, most people assume that that is the case. You use masculine pronouns, most people assume that's the case. Doesn't cost us anything. Literally in business, it will cost you money if you screw up someone's pronouns, because they don't feel like they're being seen or communicated with. Right. So back in the day of merge mail, right? Remember all those labels and all that was very fancy at the time, right? People would get very upset if you use the wrong salutation of whether it was Miss, Mrs., Ms. Is, I remember the Ms. stuff as well. Yeah, my mom right. was into that as well. All right, but, but I'm going to play devil's advocate. Okay, I'm going to be those people in the workplace, especially those who are 45. Can I, can I say one more thing, though? Before Jump in. Yeah, go ahead. So you've asked two questions around this, and I just want to make this one statement, and yep. then we'll go to your specifics. The, the cliff notes is you have to know what your behaviors that are congruent with what you believe and what's incongruent and take responsibility for it. So if I know that I, I am a pacifist and like my phone blows up and I cuss like a sailor, well... That's incongruent with being a pacifist, but it's who I am. So you can, you can be incongruent and you can right. take responsibility for it or you can decide to edit that part. The other piece to the kind of hidden question in what you're saying is I can't make anybody do anything. I can barely make myself do some stuff. So those two things are real. So now we're going to talk about how we're going to shift ideology or behavior using gender neutral pronouns as the example. Sounds great. Go for it. Well, yeah, and you're you're exactly right, and I'm and I'm conscious of where I am incongruent. I mean, I speak for a living. I'm on stage. I'm consulting with clients. I am king appropriate, and when I'm not on stage and I'm with my brothers, or we're playing blackjack in Las Vegas, 
were very inappropriate because we're brothers and we grew up and I, and I'll own all of that, you know, um, but I'll play devil's advocate. Here's devil's advocate. And you and I have very different filters on now that we're hitting record than we did prior to hitting record. It's exactly we right. Know each other. Right. Yes. Cause we'll, yeah, we'll throw in F bombs or whatever else. And I'll freely admit it, but I also know what's appropriate. And I know the clients that I work with. For those you know who that I'm it. that way. I'm that way because we've listened to each other and we respect one another and we have a personal relationship. That's a very good point. But, and, and I think that illustrates your point very well. I will play the voice of, of the listener because I know right. there's people listening right now or watching the, the video version who are going, this is not my problem. I'm so excited. This is not my problem that you want to be called they. It's not my job to ask you. It's not my, my God, whatever happened to men being men and women being women. And right there, there are, I, and no shortage of people who think that, and they have every right to think that. So make your case, because I know, here's what I love about you is that there are people who run a crusade and they have to make people understand and believe you harbor no illusions that you're going to make anybody um, believe anything other than this is an important time that we have to have a greater awareness. So for sure. those, and I think there may be a plurality of people mm -hmm. who think this is not my problem. Right. Why are you making your gender and who you want to sleep with and whatever you want to wear? Why are you making that my problem? And why do I have to change how I buy or sell or work in the workplace? Because you don't know if you're a boy or a girl. Sure. So thank you for playing devil's advocate because it's yes. super fun for me. Okay. So the truth is, is because sales is about a connection with that human being. So the two things that I would say is my dad was this door-to-door -door salesman for years, probably what caused his early death. And it was old school, 1900s. So I distinctly remember the index card method. So yep. for those of you that have to Google this, it, you can Google what a pencil is too, because that was also employed. So he wrote on the index card, like David Averins, wife's name is Laurel, right? Then let's say you got divorced, something happens, not of course that you would, he would erase it and update the information, right? Um, your dog, your dog's name is Max. Max passed away, draw a line, don't erase it because what if Max references come up in the pet next? And now your dog's name is Sniffles, right? He would keep all this information, so not to be inauthentic, but you just can't remember all these details about people. Now we call that Facebook. So when I have a meeting, I'm gonna log into Facebook and Google what you're doing and like, so tell me about Wisconsin Dells. Oh, I went fishing there last week, how'd you know? Because I stalked you online, that's my job, right? So sales is relationships. So when we're talking about business, you are ultimately talking about relationships with that person. When someone says, well, this is not my business. So like if we're talking about gender or sexuality, who someone voted for, what their stance is on gun rights, right? Like what does this have to do with business? What is fascinating is what it has to do with business is that we like to think that we know the people that we are working with, working for, and the sales and the customers and the clients that we are trying to get loyalty from. We have an illusion that we know these people. And then what happens is, is we find something out about them that we didn't know. And we typically get super defensive about that and make it their problem. When in reality, I'm telling you this because you didn't know this. Like I'm gifting you this information. So when we take vegetarians, for example, I have vegetarian friends that eat bacon. So by definition, you are not a vegetarian, but if you're gonna choose meat, that's where to start, right? Like start at the bacon, good job. I know people who are deeply fiscally conservative and socially liberal, but call themselves Republicans and Democrats, right? right? As we get more and more polarized in our political views, you're going to have to pick a team. Nope, this is where I am. There's also a difference between being a conservative, a Republican, and a Trumper. Those are three different categories. Welcome to nuance. And the reality Going back to Max, your client's dog, is the nuances are hard to keep up with, and that's your job. Your job is literally to connect with the other person as if you are actually building a relationship with them. That is where, that is the exact way you separate people from their money, is because they're loyal to you and they trust you. 
So when we are talking about business, I think the case is even more obvious as to why you need right. to know who you're talking to. Heaven forbid you also don't clock out of these skills and employ them at the grocery store too. You know, this makes me think, um, I, I was- That's my job, really, I make leaders think. Well, I appreciate that. 30 years ago, I was PR director at Children's Hospital. And we had, this was in the days of the TQM and the CQI and total quality management and, and continuous quality improvement and Six Sigma and all of this. Quality improvement movement. And I remember there was a, a, a conversation. They had brought in this team to implement the CQI program. And the entire company is there or the entire hospital and the nurse is sitting in the back row or in the back of the room with their arms folded, chewing their gum, just shaking their head at everything. I mean, nobody works harder than the nurses in the hospital. And the woman got done talking and, and this woman said, this nurse raised her hand, she goes, um, I don't have time. I don't have time for another program. I don't have time for another initiative. I don't have time for another something to add to my thing. And the woman's response on stage was, is stuck to, with me to this day. And she looked at her and she said, let's be clear. This is not about doing more. This is doing what you're already doing differently. Mm -hmm. And to me, that connects so much with your message and your crusade and your education. It's a new sensitivity. It's a new mindset so that we do what we're already doing differently and better. And there is, there is a, a painful ramifications who, for those who do it poorly. Yeah, yeah. And that's happening, right? So you have people who refuse to have these type of conversations and people just go elsewhere now, you know? Right. I, I was doing some consulting work with a hospital uh, was way off the charts for patient experience, like number one in the country for years in a row, which I think is hysterical because they have a patient experience conference every year to get even better, right? What right. about the crappy hospitals that aren't even registering in the top like 5,000? Where's their patient experience conference? But when you're focused and worried about something, you're probably not doing a bad job at it because you're focused and worried about it. Right. Versus the ones like, hello, please read this pamphlet. They're not paying attention to it, right? So when I was speaking with them, one of the things I said that I thought was quite clever is that a patient's experience to improve it, to make it worse, to keep it the same, a patient's experience is a patient experience. And it's a fun play on words and that's our job. But yeah. what I mean is, is that it's not a quick fix, right? Like you have to be as patient as the person that you are trying to find out what is their experience. We know, I mean, all of us are in sales. Everyone who's listening to this, regardless of your job, you will be separated from your money because someone is selling you something or you are separating someone else from their resources because you are selling something. And that can take years years right now we were joking earlier that i have solar panels being installed on my roof right now and they're plugging in the internet as we speak and when i asked about getting the electric car charger thing we do not currently have electric cars but it's coming um what where would that go how do we do this etc and mike is the guy who's installing the things and he's like here's my cell phone number and it is separate it might not go through the solar panel company i live in a very small town mike's phone number is on my fridge before I have an electric car, because I know we're going to get electric cars eventually. And at some point I'm going to need an electric plug built into my house and I'm going to call Mike. Yep. Right. That is building relationships. Well, it's also being prepared for what's coming down the pike. Yeah. And I think if there's anything else and we're, we're hearing, um, I mean, I think some people will see it as, as dog whistles, but I mean, the, the reality is, is this is, this is where it's going. There is progress whether people want to couch it in those terms or not, there will be a heightened awareness. There will be a heightened sensitivity. And those who do not and will not and have not will find themselves scrambling and losing out to those who have. Well, the really annoying thing that I would say is, is that we're going to keep coming up with more sensitivities. I'm using air quotes there for those yep. of you listening. We're going to keep coming up with sensitivities that we're more comfortable working with, discussing, learning, talking about, mocking, trying to get away from figuring out than the ones that have been around for hundreds of years that we refuse to talk about. So if we, want, if we really want to talk about doing diversity work, equity work, inclusion work in our business spaces, we don't always have to go to the new bells and whistles, but the new bells and whistles are the training ground to keep the tools sharp so that we can actually address the conversations we've been avoiding. 
And the conversations we've been avoiding, maybe I'm talking about gender, I'm talking about age, I'm talking about ability, I'm talking about race, I'm talking about religion and politics. Weight. Right. There's a ton of things that we will not talk about, but we will invest a lot of time and energy trying to figure out how to deal with Barbara's gluten-free current health status and what we're going to do at the like annual holiday party. I'm using air, air quotes there too is that we could be having a holiday party right now, which is actually high holidays for the Jewish faith, instead of having a Christmas party with a blue tablecloth, that is not inclusion. That's very different. But we're more likely to get gluten-free cupcakes for Barbara than we are to talk about the racism in our workplace. Okay, first of all, you just gave me the, the quote, the poll quote in promoting this podcast because that's the best ever. Um, it, it, we have very little time. Like, literally, we could start a whole new one just based on that. What are we talking about? What, what aren't we talking about? Just in the last couple of minutes that we have, talk to me about where does this go next? Because there's, there's a couple of options. Number one is, as you said, it's the new generation of isms um, or, or the sensitivities, the glutens, the things that will get the headlines. Or is it that if we were really going to look at success within this realm, it's really just talking about the things that we haven't talked about that we should be talking about, or is it can continue go to some new place of whatever's catching the headlines or are they not mutually exclusive? I'm just going to say, yes, that's, that's the answer, right? Like when you're asking those questions, I promise I'm answering. I used to watch wheel of fortune with my mother. Like that was the 30 minutes. I know you're a Jeopardy fan. It's on right afterwards. But I used to watch Wheel of Fortune almost every workday with my mom. She came home from school. I came home from school. We watched Wheel of Fortune. We talked about Vanna White's dresses. We did, we, I was supposed to make me a better speller fail, but I'm a quick guesser. My mother was excellent at the game. My mother passed away in 1993. Like I said, I'm 45. Vanna White is still on Wheel of Fortune. I now watch Wheel of Fortune every once in a while with a much faster wit and a very, very dark sense of humor and try to guess other things that might fit in there that we'll probably never see <laughs> on television. I love it. Okay, how I watch Wheel of Fortune has changed. What you just asked is basically, should I still watch Wheel of Fortune? Sure. It connects me to some work that I'm willing to do. It connects me to my mom. It's part of a tradition or a habit in my life. Um, and Vanna White, still there, still wearing the same dresses. It also helps me still understand a size two. Yeah. time travel and how aging is going to work, right? I don't care what you want to focus on. Focus on it. Feel free. What I'm, when I burnt out, I flipped my work inside out and decided to pay attention to the patterns that I want to work on and the patterns I don't want to work on because both of them are equally as important. The key is do some of the work with the resources you already have occasionally, right? Like I often say, do the best you can with what you've got some of the time. That is more revolutionary than sitting back and waiting until you know all the answers. None of us know all the answers because they change person to person, month to month, year to year, decade to decade, context to context, based on your relationship with that individual in the moment. There is a time, David, where when we first met each other, we probably had a story about each other that is partially true and partially not true. The part that is true is why we leaned in and became friends in the first place. The part that wasn't accurate, we've edited because we've gotten to know each other better. Right. We see each other maybe twice a year. I have a lot of respect for you. You have a lot of respect for me. Isn't that what matters? But we're not done. You You don't just get my respect and I move on to someone else. You have to keep my respect. And if we're going to talk about business, at any moment, any client, any customer you currently have can go someplace else. And what's going to keep them what's going to keep the talent that you've already hired, what's going to do word of mouth so people want to work at your place is the ongoing willingness to realize that the connection you have is dependent on the amount of energy and interest you put into that person. Some of the time. There's my my second pull quote in promoting this podcast. People want to get a hold of Jessica Pettit to do some of the hard work with their organization. 
presentation consulting otherwise, um, how do they do that? Goodenoughnow.com. I'm happy to help in whatever way I can. And I also think it's important that I refer business to other people because I don't do checkbox diversity trainings anymore. I only do real work. Right. And your book, coincidentally, is named the exact same thing, Good Enough Now. Yep. Correct. And available everywhere. Yes. Everywhere. And probably a couple secondhand stores as well. Good Enough Now. Doing the best you can with what you got some of the time. That was always my, my fear is that I'm going to come across one of my books in the bargain bin of something else. But Oh, I love it because it's cheaper than buying them directly from the book. There public. you go. Hey, listen, what a, what a phenomenal pleasure and privilege it is. We could talk forever and we're going to have to schedule another one because I think it's an important subject. I think there's people who recognize it. I think there's those who are reluctant or resistant. And I think you've made a really good case. I mean, the reality is people are diverse. Our customers, our employees and others are. And having a greater sensitivity, not just checking the box. I mean, I understand why organizations bring you in. I think you probably don't care why they bring you in as long as they're willing to do the work whether they're doing it from a preventative perspective and they, they think they need to check a box, they, they get a whole lot more than what they expect when you come in. And, and that's the thing I appreciate as well. Hey, listen, um, big thanks, Jessica Pettit. Go to goodenoughnow.com. Pick up her copy of her book as well. It's available everywhere. I will tell you the Very Visible Business Podcast is sponsored by the Customer Experience Advantage. What if you were to meet with your team for 20 to 30 minutes once a week? to gather together to focus on how to make your customers' lives better and become remarkably easy to do business with. Well, your new competitive advantage starts with a weekly morning huddle. You can learn how you can begin this powerful new initiative in your business by visiting thecxadvantage.com, T-H-E-C-X-Advantage.com. Be sure to click to like this podcast, hit the subscribe button, and check out some of the past interviews as well. There's some cool interviews out there. And remember, you can see the video version of this podcast on my YouTube channel or on my website. Speaking of my website, if you want to learn more how you can bring me in to speak for your meeting or work with your organization or bring both myself and Jessica Pett in as well, we're a great tag team on all this. You can learn more and watch a preview video at visibilityinternational.com. Be sure to pick up a copy of my new book, Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back. Forbes just named this one of the seven business books that entrepreneurs need to read and uh, would appreciate if you do as well. It is also available on Kindle, uh, audiobook, everything as well. Thank you again, Jessica. Thanks for everybody for listening. Be sure to subscribe, click on one of the other ones and have a great day. Thanks. For past and future episodes, be sure to subscribe at theveryvisiblebusiness.com. You can also learn more about David Averin's keynote speaking and consulting at visibilityinternational.com. Connect with us on social media and check out David Averin's latest book, Visibility Marketing at Amazon.com. This has been the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.